This episode is brought to you by Ravenheart Forge. For some of the best quality bucklers on the market, genuinely I think they're made out of Beskar steel, check out Ravenheart Forge. Welcome back everybody to this episode of Blades for Days where we talk about swords and sword fighting and punching people in the face and who's got the best bottom. I'm your host Jordan and joining me today is small sword and pugilism extraordinaire Sue Kirk. Hey, hello. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, alright. Um, had a fairly productive morning and did like a little bit of training and then spent... An embarrassing amount of time looking for a Snickers that I'd already eaten. <laughs> yeah, I was, I'm really annoyed about it, actually. So I came in from the kitchen, I'm like, oh, I'm looking forward to that Snickers. And I was looking for it everywhere, going like, where have I put it? And then I just like glanced in the bin and there was a Snickers wrapper. And I was like, I ate it. I was like, I have no memory of that. Um <laughs> So yeah, then I spent the rest of the morning sulking because, uh, you know. Oh, because no chocolate bar. Yeah, yeah exactly. So <laughs> what about you? What have you been up to? Um, so I'm I'm on a week off work this week. So I have been doing some lockdown projects. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> so bit, bits of DIY painting. painting right, okay. Fair DIY enough. around the house, basically. Uh, so, so that's good. Trying desperately not to get the cat covered in paint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I don't have any pets. I generally just get myself covered in paint. Um, and <laughs> none of it on the wall somehow, so... <laughs> Yeah, so so the room I'm in at the moment is is my what was my junk room, my spare room. This has been part of my lockdown project. So this has been literally flooring, painting, posters, beds, wardrobes, all the rest of it. Because like literally, you can open the door and get in here. <laughs> Previously, what was fascinating though during lockdown and trying to get all of this done single handedly. Now I have a three story house, so lugging massive wardrobes up the stairs trying to construct them single handedly was quite good fun but in amongst all of this I found three swords I'd forgotten I had two daggers and two eight foot long oak um quarter staffs <laughs> and I was like yeah, what have they got to? <laughs> so the perils of living in a HEMA household, you know, yeah. it's, it's one of those things. <laughs> that's great. I think I think that's one of the things, isn't it? When you've been doing it for a little while, and when you've been sort of when you when you've been like teaching, or when you've been just collecting different weapons, when you pick something, yeah. you go, "Oh yeah, I remember this thing." I was it? Yeah. <laughs> So, so, yeah. so, so it's yeah, so so it's interesting going like, oh yeah, I, oh, I've got some spare blades for some small swords now. And, da, 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 da. and oh, what can I do with those? I, I need to get out and play with quarter stuff. Yeah, not done it for like 20 years, but I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll pull those out and have a play with them. Yeah, so uh, yeah. so it was quite good fun uh, finding those in the midst of everything else that I had. Yeah, yeah, so. that's <laughs> um, <clears throat> I recently uh, I was given some like antique blades by my grandfather because he's moving in uh, with my aunt now and um, he's like giving me some awesome stuff but he's also yeah. just trying to get rid of every like all of his crap 
It's just like, oh, I've got some, you know, I've got this old TV. It's one of those massive box TVs. And it's like, do you want this? And I'm like, no, thank, thanks, Grandpa. It's like, are you sure? I've got a bedpan. Do you want the bed? I'm like, no, what? So <laughs> Slightly used. Yeah, there you go. He's like, do you want to put it on, uh, do you want to put it on the internet? See if you can get some money for it. And I'm like, I'll guarantee, I'll pay you to just take, take it away from me, please. If you want money, oh. like, you know. So yeah, um, I'll, I'll take the blades because uh, you know he's um, uh, he's into collecting swords. He's he's been into collecting swords as long as I've known him. Uh, my father yeah. was as well, so it's probably you know it's one hundred percent where I got that from. Um, but uh, yeah, I know what you mean about like coming across uh, some some things that you're just not used to. I actually came across they're stacked here somewhere. I'm not going to pull them out. But um, I've got like Chinese broadswords. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I had those when I was into like, you know, uh, Chinese martial arts and uh, you know, Eastern Eastern style martial arts. So I was like, oh, I should take them out and have a play. But I haven't used them in so long. Um, I'm just, I'm like, I'm afraid I'm just going to look like a buffoon. Like I'll take them out, I'll do something and I'll just be like, nah, I'm putting these back. I'll, I'm, I'm putting yeah. these back. I'm just going to grab my longsword again. That's my comfort zone, you know? But, but do you not think everybody's going to be a little bit like that when we start to come out of lockdown, you know, as yeah. things lift and people are able to get together again? I mean, I live alone um, and like, it's been a nightmare not having anybody to stab or throw around <laughs> through the entirety <laughs> of this period of time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but but everybody's going to be at a state where they're, regardless of whether they've had somebody to train with, you've not got the variety that you would have had. You've probably not got the focus in quite the same way as you would have had uh, in normal times. Uh, and so coming back together and, and you're going to have to like start to build up those skills. And it will be a little bit like riding a, a bicycle in the yeah. fact that you'll know what you're supposed to do, but actually getting up to speed again is going to take a little bit of time, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It'll be like, um, it'll be like sort of when you fight left-handed, if you're right-handed and you, you know, uh, and you start fight, fighting Southport, you know everything you're supposed to be doing. You know all the theory, yeah. you know all the, you know, and uh, it, it'll just be the case of like, it's just not quite working right. Um, yeah. I was chatting to uh, Pedro San Miguel from Scholar Gladiatoria a couple of. I know months. Pedro well, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and um, he was talking. He's he, I've never beaten him in a tournament. Like he always edges me out just by like a few points, whatever. And we always have a great fight, and uh, I love Pedro, but I desperately want to beat him. So he was talking to me about like how because he lives in London, he hasn't been able to train, whatever. His kids yeah. covered in dust, and I'm like, I need to get to London. I need to get to London and fight him now. While he's, you know, while he's uh, on his downswing. Well, he's not on his best. Part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He'd probably still kick my ass, but you know, I, uh, uh, I got to give it a try, you know. Um, so yeah, because. Um, you know, uh, Pedro uh, Pedro's uh, does like small sword and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. and that's something that you're very much into. Um, yes, yeah. It's funny because um, I chat to people online, unfortunately, way more than um, you know I want to. Like, obviously, uh, I like chatting to to you know other humor humorous other martial artists, but I'm talking about like um, commenters on YouTube and stuff like that who 
who are like, oh, well, you know, that's a, that, you know, when they're talking about small sort of rapier, they're like, well, it's a light weapon, so it's not very physically demanding. And it's like, wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I beg to differ. I mean, it's one of the things that I would say is a fallacy that needs sort of getting rid of uh, the fact that, that a small sword, A, is an easy weapon, B, it's for people who aren't particularly fit, etc. <laughs> or it's a or it's a gateway weapon into everything else in HEMA. And I would say it is a weapon in its own right. It, it held its own as a dueling weapon for over 100 years or so. You know, it was it was one of those things that was around and it was utilised in quite brutal ways. You know, it, it, uh, and you do have to know what you do. You can learn the basics of small sword in probably a day. Yeah, less than that, you know, just the basic principles of it, but actually the application and getting it right and doing small sword rather than flailing around with the, like this pointy weapon thing, um, it will take a lifetime to get it right. The techniques are, are there. And the whole thing about small sword is you shouldn't be showing effort and sweat. You should be showing finesse and beauty in what you're doing on anything and your lethality of killing somebody, if that's the proper word, yeah. um, I, I think is, you should be doing it with style. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not grunting, leaping around all over the place and, and sort of getting in the mix of things. Actually, if you can do it without all of that hoo-ha, then it shows that you're better at your technique that you don't need to bounce around. It's a bit like playing somebody who's better than you at squash. Um, you know, they'll be stood in the middle of the court and you'll be running from side to side to side to side because they've just got a better eye and, a, and an ability to bat the ball wherever they want it to. And, and you're just like this blubbering mess on the floor by the end of a match and they'll probably have won you, but they might not even have broken sweat at that stage, <laughs> you know? And I think small sword is, is similar in many ways to, to some of that as a, as a principle. Um, and although, you know, as far as the, the gateway drug to other things, um, I think there is an element of that that says the principles of movement and uh, ability to understand sight lines, hits, movement etc uh, are, are really fundamental and a lot of sabreurs suggested that at the time to utilize foil or say a uh, small sword um, to get the basics of all of that in place before you pick up your saber uh, and you play with that as well um, but i think you know it, if it wasn't a sword in its own right how come it ended up evolving into the foil and epe that you see in the Olympic sport fencing world. Yeah. If it didn't have a right you know, to be there. Oh, yeah, controversial I, stuff. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like, that. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, like, fine with uh, small sword because I've got a book. Uh, it's by... I got it from uh, Keith Farrell and um, uh, Fallen Rock Publishing, and it was written by uh, Latouche. Um, yes. I forget his name. But like some of the lunges that they're doing and stuff like that, to say that because it's a lighter weapon, it like it requires less effort. It's like, well, uh, I mean, in the same sense that, yeah, the other thing is like from a martial arts point of view, if you can go sort of like in and out and finish your opponent in one um, mm. and it's it would be the same as being a knockout artist and then you're still fresh, like you can still sort of keep it. If you've got somebody who's just... 
um, kind of good at taking uh, good at taking punches and just sort of like slugs it out. But by the end, they're both um, you know they're both just sort of battering each other and uh, taking mm. chunks out of each other. I mean, yeah, but like it, it's kind of a pyrrhic victory even if you do win. Um, so something that sort of uh, you know flashes in and out and sort of like and you back off and they're like, oh yeah, I'm 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 finished. That, that's me. I'm skewered. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's that yeah. um, it's that scene from uh, the Duelist. Um, yes. You know where they, there's like a quick exchange and he's just kind of like lung shot um, after like you know it, there's like sort of one movement a sort of disengage and he goes in mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah and he just can't carry on the fight you know he, he's mm -hmm. he's done um, now I quite like stuff like that because um, uh, because I'm a furist because I do fury and there's a lot of the rondel and for me the small sword it, it's very much like well it's just that but it's longer and you know <laughs> um, so yeah. So, so I trained with, so I, I've done, um, small sword is one of my main weapons that I, I instruct and, and do. And, and I suppose my style is based around Angelo and Girard and, and that in the end of the spectrum, a bit nicer on the knees than yeah. some, of the two, <laughs> some of the others. Um, but but uh, the, the, the sort of principles that are there, you can see them play out in other periods that that movement that space that distancing that understanding of deflection etc you know and when you're talking there about rondel I, I studied fiore for a few years with the exiles when i was down in london so you know i, I come from that stamp as well and um it, it's interesting to see how it plays out there is quite a difference though between your two-handed weapons and your, your single-handed oh how yeah you, absolutely yeah. how, you, how you, you work those yeah, and I think when you, by the time you get to small sword, it's kind of it's made that transition from the art of fencing to the science of fencing, and there's that you know um, there's less of that kind of you know I will strike him in the bonds and he will be driven to the ground and his children will weep for his father was a coward and all this sort of stuff, but then like. You know, small sword is like okay, I'm, like I'm coming into this angle and I'm going to pierce this, but and there's no sort of like, well, I mean, maybe there is a bit of boasting to it. I know that there is with like Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I would say so. You know, if you can carry out a duel and have a good go at the other person and sort of like you know, have a go at uh, at uh, annoying their tailor as you're yeah. as you're doing something would be fantastic. And and the, the other thing I would say though is depending on your style of small sword, you do use the left hand or you can use the left hand in the mix. You can disarm. You know, you, there are rule sets that develop over time that take it more into the the certain areas of the body. Whereas earlier, small sword or different systems have full body contact, you know, hand snipes, you know, all the rest of that sort of stuff. Um, but but you, yeah, you sort of choose your choose your option, um, and you can go in and do a pommel strike or things like that, depending on whether you're doing like in the street style small sword for defense, like a gentleman would have had a small sword, you know, just attached to them as part of their outfit, um, versus a sal, which was a bit more controlled and contrived and ordered. Um, and the, you know, the, the, the things like the beats of the foot and the appel to, to, to you know, get somebody to react and, and then you can get in there and, and do first, second, third intention attacks and things like that. I, it's a bit more of a chess game, you know, as you yeah. say, that technique and technicality of it um, really sort of increases. And that's quite good fun because it's also 
fast yeah. <laughs> and people forget that about about small sword it, it's it's the ferrari <laughs> weapons um yeah, yeah. italian generally or french um <laughs> you know, quite fast and in there and has a liability to destroy the owner in amongst everything else that you're doing so you know sort of crashes hard um <laughs> but but it has sleek lines and goes for it uh, so so i think it's quite a good fun weapon um and the interesting thing that i've done i mean we sort of uh, you know i do other things as well so small sword is one of them saber i do love as well um you know but i lot i know a lot of Closer in, grapply stuff is is kind of my forte, and one of those things is pugilism. And and I remember a conversation. This is a few years ago with um, Tommy Joe Moore, uh, who people now know is sort of doing pugilism and and combatives and things as well. Um, but I had this conversation with him at fight camp and, and said, come on, you know, we're in the middle of a pugilism class. Come to my small sword class. That I'm, I'm going to do a bit, a bit later. And he's like, oh, no, yeah. you know, big guy, small sword, little tiny sword. That's not for me. Um, and I went, no, no, literally come along, because actually you'll see loads of similarities between small sword and pugilism. <laughs> And he's like, what? <laughs> so I got him along. He then bought a small sword off the back of that, went and sort of had a few sessions at it. So I had a convert there. Yeah, that's um, it. You do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've done quite a lot of that over the years. Hey, yes, yeah, so introducing people to it. Until recently, I actually thought that like pugilism left you quite exposed because I was, um, my brother Ollie is, he, he's into it. Like he bought uh, a few books on like uh, stick fighting, um, you know, sort of yeah. like artitsu type stuff yeah and um he bought a book on uh, pugilism and uh, i think it was the one by colonel monstery um, I, oh yeah monstery yeah. style yeah. very stand um, upright yeah yeah that's back. it like, everything um, further forward yes yeah and I, in a proper victorian fighting stance yeah, yeah I, I, <laughs> I i you know and i'm sort of like whenever you see pugilism depicted in sort of like modern media it's generally you know adopted by a fairly foppish character you know and that's <laughs> but we took it um and, you know it was quite good fun but um i did a little bit, bit more reading into it and it is the same thing it's about like closing off those lines that's it. And things like so that. it's deflection straight in attacks yeah footwork is essential understanding timing and how close you are and how quick the fight is so recognizing the movements of your opponent um i mean it, yeah there are treatises around uh, pugilism that, that say look the person in the face and check what their body is doing because that is where you'll read the fight and then be able to react and see when a hit is coming in at you. And that's exactly what you do when you're in small sword or other forms of fencing, you know, it's, but you're just that much closer, closer in. But yeah. that principle of straight attacks or, you know, getting, you know, moving offline to, to get your target in there uh, or deflections, very, very similar uh, and quite punchy in, in yeah. style, you know. Well, that was it, because I, I did uh, Krav Maga um for a good long while and then uh and brazilian jiu-jitsu was sort of like tied into that and so for me you know like my stance was very sort of cagey um because yeah. i'm quite tall i'm about six four i generally sort of have the have the reach and things but when yeah 
um, you know, when people close me down, it's very much I'm sort of like uh, coming up to here. And I, I just found <laughs> so you're, you're blocking with your, your head with either you creating a cage around your head. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, I'm trying to spike their uh, strikes with my elbow. So you know, if they're throwing a straight punch, I'm trying to bring my elbow up to sort of like cover my face and you know also catch it on the elbow and hopefully you know politely break their hand so that I can then enter and finish them off kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it was just that thing of like. Uh, um, go, you know, uh, coming from crowd and then talking to my brother, we had like a quick go of uh, the, the pugilism style where, you know, I'm sort of showing mm. the back of my hand and all this sort of stuff, uh, you know, in the stance. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that much about it. I've only read a little bit. Yeah. Like I know a little bit about monastery. There's a guy that my brother was telling me about, actually. He was saying there was, he was, um, he was in the army. He was, no good as a soldier but he was very good as a duelist and he so he basically won a bunch of duels and as a result became like a brothel owner or something um <laughs> I, I don't know i might be mixing up my facts here uh, no you're entirely right you're entirely right he's a scottish chap who who, who was a brothel owner yes <laughs> Uh, oh, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, you were in the army yourself, weren't you? I was. I was. So I, uh, I am Captain Kirk retired. There you go. <laughs> so I spent most of the nineties uh, around the world uh, with the the British military, uh, the British Army. Um, you know, got to got to do various different things. Spent a bit of time in Northern Ireland during the Troubles, uh, out in Cyprus, which was really interesting. They also had some troubles out there whilst I was there. Um, I, I ended up in Edinburgh Castle, living there for a couple of years, which was quite interesting as Absolutely. well. <laughs> so I've, I've been I've been around uh, do, doing various bits and pieces. Um, but I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Throughout all of this, I still had an interest in martial arts and history and, and so on. I mean, I started in the late 80s doing sport fencing, you know, like when... Um, people were still fencing steam, i.e. without the electrics uh, at club <laughs> level because we couldn't afford it, um, where I was, and then competing. And, you know, I used to wander out with medals and things like that. So it was, I did all right in my competitiveness. I'll just drop that, my... just drop that, you know, the, the whole... Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, and, and then, so, uh, I, when I went to Sandhurst, I ended up training the team, the sport fencing team at Sandhurst. <laughs> whilst I was there and getting my colours and all the rest of it, you know. Oh, really? And and then they, they wanted me, but they, this is you know, classic army stuff. I went on out of Sandhurst and they asked me back to go to be, uh, to try out for the army team. And uh, my unit wouldn't release me. And so I was like, <laughs> bastards. <laughs> um, and, and then I ended up being posted around the world and you need two people to fence generally. <laughs> so it, it, it just, I, I had to put it on the back burner for a few years, yeah. um, but picked up, picked up HEMA right at the start of the 2000s uh, uh, with the Society for the Study of Swordsmanship. And I, and I did rape you for five years. Oh, okay. <laughs> Before I, before I went on to, to other other bits and pieces. But I mean, you know yourself, if you've been around for quite a long time, you, you get the chance to have a look at different things that are going on and see the development. I mean, HEMA was just like, it was the Wild West back in the 2000s, you know, yeah. uh, loads of stuff going on. Loads, like you, were, you thought yourself lucky if you had a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of one of like George Silver, you know, um, <laughs> learning that. 
um, and treatises were being starting to be found and translated and weaponry was starting to be developed. So yes, I did see the modified Shinai um, period yeah, of long sword. Um, I don't know where I got it. Somebody <laughs> just gave it to me. Uh, so it's like, yeah, it's like a, a, a memento um, of, you know, a darker time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it, it's gone there. Um, and then, and then sort of gradually my interest sort of honed down and, and, I, and I found the small sword um, and uh, sort of treatises and sort of got stuck into that, basically because when I was originally doing sport fencing, my instructor had a very classical fencing style. So I, I naturally could see the, the, the sort of the rollback of that technique into, um, into small sword. So I was able to sort of pick that up and sort of untangle some of the, the information that I was seeing and then play with other things so you know I, I said to you I do I do lots of the sort of grapply close in end of the stuff now because it's just really good fun um yeah. so <laughs> so I got involved in in Bartitsu so you know defense with jujitsu and umbrellas yeah. and walking sticks and and you know close in stuff world war ii combat ifs catch wrestling and out of some of all or all of this came the the pugilism strand as well um and, and you know I just really enjoy doing it and it's and it's mean and it's evil and you get in there and have a have a go at stuff but fundamentally all of the things boil down to some simple principles of of body mechanics um in the mix and timing and distance and you know pulling all of that together yeah. um one thing then helps you understand a different system and you can look at something else and you can look at something else and you you pull all the strands together and you can see where some of the basis of the discussions have come in on the different treatises and the development of the weapons and so on so <laughs> no, it, it it is um it's great like the the grappling stuff um, because it's, if you look at Fiori, it's the first thing that you encounter in the Getty manuscript. And people generally sort of skip over it because they want to go right to longsword. But it's like, no, do this bit first because it shows you how to move your hips. Like, you know, when you're throwing, you, and it's the same as like when you're, uh, when you're trying to get your sword to move quickly, you want to move your hips sort of first like coming up on the heel uh and that was something that actually took me a little while because i did the same thing i went straight to sword well ah, screw that you know i know how to punch people in the face <laughs> you know what i mean um i'll just go straight here but you're right it is so much fun to go to the grappling stuff and there's a line from uh deadpool 2 um it, it's um uh cable is um one of the characters in it and he's threatening mm -hmm. um uh he's threatening to torture somebody and he he's saying like i'm gonna bend some things that don't want to bend right so he's talking about you know breaking somebody's arm and um and i'm like yeah that's very much pretty much a lot of the locks in in fury it's just like yeah i'm gonna bend this the wrong way um and uh yeah you're right it is it is pretty savage and um it's it's great fun but i have to caveat it all the time in class by saying okay guys right first of all and i've like i've gotten to the point where everybody's heard it they're sick of hearing it but i'm like okay in terms of self-defense remember de-escalate or run or whatever mm -hmm. that. and then it's like you know and then we can talk about the locks because i've gone through the um yeah. through the small through, through the small print but um the 
Bartit 2, I, I, like, I find that fascinating because it was only around for, like, what, three years before it... Was... Uh, there's around that. So, so the, the, the late 19th, early 20th century, um, you know, with Barton Wright bringing jiu-jitsu, you know, judo back from the east and combining... He wasn't the only one that was doing that, but he was a bit of a Barnum character to be able to go and get it out on a stage and, and get it, spread the message. Yeah. Uh, and it just hit a zeitgeist, I think, of that, that period of people feeling they needed to know a bit more about self-defence particularly as you didn't wander around armed like you used to do as you know as part of your every day so it's what could you use about you and it was I thought it was interesting because he also targeted both men and women and uh, using what was to hand at the time so they were trying to pull things together but I think you know you start off with this this lovely thing that's that's Bartitsu and then you sort of tease apart the various constitutional bits to it to make the uh, the connections with you know what exactly were they talking about in Savat what exactly were they was, was what was purring you know like shin kicking where's that come from you know um and 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 just trying to sort of understand where the wrestling came from, where the pugilism came from, um, and, and delving deeper into those. So it took me down a whole bunch of rabbit holes as far as research and understanding was concerned. Um, not, not least, um, pulling together a small, right, so here we go, uh, pulling together a small group of people um, to do costumed demonstrations. So, I'd done over many years historical interpretation, reenactment, and event management for places like English Heritage and stuff like that. Um, so I knew there's like there was a gap in the marketplace because a lot of what the groups could do was or was stage fighting or reenactment where you had to be really safe over who you were fighting and how uh, because you didn't have protective kit on and, and things like that. And I thought there was a little gap in the marketplace for a small group. Of, of people who knew what they were doing technique wise to be able to talk about the technique, but wear the right sort of kit and put it in a historical context. So gathered this gang of, of, of you know, friends together who all pretty much happened to be martial arts instructors or HEMA instructors uh, or really seasoned like fighters of reenactment and interested in history and doing the research and everything. Um, and we put these little demonstrations together around Bartitsu. And it really took off. So there, there went some of the research down that, that route. So we got invited to loads of different places. Uh, and then from there, we discovered suffragitsu. So uh, Edith Garrett, who is a lady who uh, went and observed with her husband, William, uh, a Barton Wright demonstration, and they saw jiu-jitsu being played out for the first ever time, turn of the century sort of thing, and they went and learned jiu-jitsu and became instructors. And Edith Garrett then picked up, got, got, uh, did a, a talk for the Women's Social and Political Union and got invited to train a bodyguard of about 30 women to, to be bodyguards to the Pankhursts. And so she got involved in that way. So she, you know, she had a punch cartoon after her and, you know, and, and told tales to tell uh, about her involvement in, as a suffrage, the, the, the jujitsu suffragette, as she was called in the punch cartoon. Yeah. Um, and we've done we've done things around that as well. But that takes you lots of, in lots of different directions on things. Yeah. <laughs> 
I was going to say, because Edith Garrett is, um, she's quite interesting because she was like four foot, four, yeah. four foot yeah. tall or something like that. Um, four, feet, four feet 11, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Less <laughs> um, than five foot, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, I, I constantly tease Melissa about being short. Um, so my wife, Melissa, is, uh, she's, I don't know, she comes up to like maybe my, collarbone my sternum something like that um so i'm always like sort of say to her you're the shortest person in the world you, you know and all this sort of stuff and um not being heightest at all uh, no, 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 <laughs> definitely not heightest um, <laughs> well the the other person i train with so i train with two people mainly um so one is melissa and she's uh yeah she's a shorty and uh, the other one is Kian, um, who's my best friend, and he's about the same height as I am. So yeah. Melissa has a you know relatively hard time of it because she has to fight me and she has to fight Kian. Um, so she has to like really try and close on us. And the thing is, she wears uh, spes heavy gloves. So yeah. if I try to like move in and grapple, she's just constantly pounding my mask with these spes heavy gloves. So I'm like, yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, but Edith Garrett is one of those people that I've kind of, um, I've kind of sort of floated uh, to her um, because mm. she's interested in sort of shorter people learning how to beat taller people, mainly because she just wants to beat the crap out of me consistently, because um, that's the bedrock of our marriage. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but suffragette is that a modern term, by the way? I, well, kind of, yes. So, so it's like, what do you call it? Because it's not quite your modern. Uh, well, it's not uh, traditional jiu-jitsu necessarily. There's some elements of self-defense that are in the, in the mix there. Um, but it has got a bit of a gathering behind it and links to steampunk now and links to, you know, the Bartitsu world and, and, and so on. Um, but I just find, that, I mean, it's just an example of, of setting a particular style of fighting in a historical context telling the tale and the amount of people that were like never knew this never knew this at all it, you know like the, their mind is blown by the fact that you had somebody who was less than five foot like throwing policemen all over the place doing jujitsu on them they're just like oh this is fantastic um and and it's and it's getting that passion uh, across of, of that history and the martial arts element of it uh, i find you know and that flows through my teaching and, and stuff as well so anybody who's been in one of my world war ii combatists uh, combatist class would uh, would recognize that at any point now we're going to uh, throw our german over the shoulder and <laughs> kill our sentry yes um <laughs> so yeah usually on a fight camp using real germans at that point by oh, the way. Yeah. Yeah. voluntarily <laughs> you know um I had several volunteers the last oh, fight right, camp yeah. event, you know, yeah. uh, to, to come and help. Um, but, but you know, getting that that passion across to, to people, I think, is really important, uh, and getting the, the story out there that um, there's actually more to martial arts than you think. So going back to pugilism, the story behind some of the things. So let's take let's take one strand of, of what we were talking about uh, over height. How does that influence? how a, uh, you know, a, a professional fighter approaches their match. Well, it has quite a big influence. I mean, you, you've got your, your stance your, that might end up being different. So you said that your, your other half gets in beneath your guard and pummels you from below, basically. Well, actually that was Mendoza's tactic. 
he was quite short. He was the uh, the, the 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 chap in the the eighteenth century um, who uh, was Mendoza the Jew. Uh, so he was a bit of an outsider in, in culture, but he had, he was nippy, um, and they and he devised different methods of fighting a usually a much taller opponent. Um, and at the time, pre him, generally your opponents would kind of like hit a stance and then sort of pummel each other until somebody couldn't get up again. And uh, I'm, I'm shortening <laughs> the rule sets massively here for the, for the example. But Mendoza went in and his stance wasn't the, the one that we described earlier with the, the, the shoulders back, monstery, you know, left arm really far forward, you know, the other one across the chest kind of thing. The, the, that Monstry would have done. Mendoza went in, he, he bent over, he ducked down, he put both hands up and forward and high, because usually that was what he, he used his fists almost as a shield in front of him, um, and then used his footwork and, you know, bowing and moving his, his body to dodge <laughs> some of the attacks that were coming in, that he could then nip in and pull the other person. And so, Mendoza's style of pugilism was very different to somebody who was probably six foot three, you know, and, and used to a very different, you know, sort of weight, um, maneuverability and style. Uh, actually, uh, when, when Mendoza went up, the other thing that, that, that changed a lot through this was when Mendoza went up against uh, it was Jackson, um, they had a famous fight, uh, Jackson ended up winning basically because he grabbed Mendoza's long hair and held it whilst he pummeled with the other hand, you know, <laughs> until like Mendoza collapsed, you know, at the end of it. And after that, basically all pugilists shaved the hair. <laughs> all had short hair. <laughs> yeah, so like how to influence uh, hairstyles <laughs> for, for an entire like following generations. Yeah. Um, Makes me think it, of it, White Club, you know, where they talk about <laughs> cutting their nails short and cutting their hair short. That's and, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 There's actually so I mean, in in terms of fighting um, shorter opponents, uh, when I was doing Krav, there was a girl there. She was uh, her name was um, Carly Halton, and she was the instructor's wife. Um, and I had about a foot on her. So when we were sparring, if I was striking and I, I could keep my distance, I was usually okay. But if she got a hold of me at all, I was like, oh no. And it was like trying to fight tar in a way. You just, <laughs> like, the more you struggle, the worse it gets. And she just closed me down um, and, and just, yeah. Um, she'd take hold of my hair, my nose, whatever, you know, my beard, if it was too long. So yeah. Um, skills. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then she just put me in a lock and I'm like, I can't tap and also my face is in the mat so I can't really shout tap either so I'm just kind of there like uh you know groaning a little bit she's like okay I've taken it too far it um, stops moving yeah. Yeah, exactly. you know. <laughs> um so yeah that was uh that was always a great experience but, I mean um, you, you say that so so the pugilism side of it but but because I've also done some catch wrestling and, and you know, some Oz Auswick um, and various others. When I was down in London, we were actually lucky enough to have a like a Friday night class uh, alongside the Scholar Gladiatoria chaps. So you'd have Matt Easton and, and people doing Longford and, and, and Sabre under Lucy and um, they'd be at, like the main part of the hall and then this area of mats at the other end. And there'd be like 
six foot three, six foot four, massive chaps with beards and looking sweaty, and, and me as five foot six, middle-aged woman with them, you know, sort of <laughs> like grunting and rolling on the mat and things. But actually, through that, you see where the, yeah, you know, just because you're tall doesn't mean to say I can't take you down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you find the body mechanics and the movements and so on. That said, height and weight do make a difference. Oh, yeah. So given a preference, I would go for somebody same height and size, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's interesting because, like, there seems to be a kind of resurgence in interest in things like Bartitsu because you've got films coming out like Enola Holmes um, mm. and, uh, you know, it, it is that sort of Sherlock Holmes thing um, that's coming out and pugilism uh, is... is Sort of kind of on there. Yeah. Um, Bridgerton. Bridgerton is the most up-to-date one because you've well, got okay. pugilism in the middle of all of that. I, I haven't seen it. I know that Melissa has. Uh, um, I generally, I, I don't tend to watch, like, is it's a period drama, kind of? Uh, kind of, yeah. Right, okay, <laughs> right. Period drama, but, but what I... Asterix sort of thing. <laughs> sort of themed around yeah, um okay. but it's interesting because they have tried to do a georgian uh, boxing fight uh, or two in the in amongst of all of this and the training things so they've got some of the principles in there and the, the all the betting and the you know the happenings that, that would go on it's i would say it's quite a late period uh pugilism example or a boxing example that you've got but they're still bare knuckle at, at that point um so going back to pugilism it does change over the time and the introduction of mufflers or, or gloves um, as part of the, the set of things that you do, like in the Queensbury's, Marcus of Queensbury's rules that were brought in. Um, prior to that, where it's all bare knuckle prize fights and things, that your way of hitting your targets, um, how hard you can hit, does change. Uh, it is different. So you um, generally, the earlier the rule set that you've got, so like the earliest area, no rules. It's like, you know, if you didn't get back up, then you've lost, you know, off you go. Yeah. Um, but then you have Broughton, who brought in a set of rules, um, basically because uh, in a prize fight, he, 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 I mean, he was well-renowned uh, and a champion in his own right. So he had like standing, in, in the community, uh, the pugilism community. Um, but he killed somebody in a fight and off the back of that decided that you actually need some rules in there. Now he had a, a couple of things where he said, right, if you, if you hit the deck, you've got 30 seconds to come back up to scratch again. But there was unlimited uh, rounds. You could throw, you could kick, you could gouge, you know, various things that was still in the mix for quite a long time in boxing so it's a bit more MMA yeah. than probably people think it was not it's not the same modern boxing style so Broughton's rules were around for, for about 100 years really and then you had the London prize fight rule set which gradually took out all the, the sort of grappling wrestling-y bits you know all the good stuff you know all <laughs> yeah. that was all all banned all, um, the uh, all of it yeah all <laughs> the rough stuff um, was kind of banned uh, as, you, as you went through it until you get to the Marcus of Queensbury's rules and the, the, the more sort of introduction on things. 
Interestingly, though, even the later version still got refined after that because you, you were still allowed spiked shoes, for example. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, that doesn't sound like modern boxing to me. <laughs> um, but, it, the, I mean, Broughton's ones are hysterical, rules are hysterical because, like, half of it is all about how to run the, the prize pool yeah. <laughs> set the ring out you know less about the fighters yeah that they yeah. can do anything um <laughs> so so in amongst all of that it's, it's fascinating how it changed and the introduction of gloves meant that you could pack more of a punch because you were less likely to break your hand um and by that stage you had timed rounds whereas previously you kept going until somebody couldn't come back up to scratch so matches could take a long time yeah <laughs> a long time ago. so it, it, it's that principle you know that you need to keep going uh, so you're not going to try and do some of the things that are going to break your hand you are going to like get in and put them in chancery which is a, a wrestling move now where you, you you lock the head under the arm basically yeah, yeah. And, and and try and sort of trip and throw them as much as anything else well, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's one of the interesting things about the introduction to, of gloves and um, the, the the dangers that come with being able to strike harder, because I was uh, I was at the university uh, here in Cardiff a couple of a couple of years ago now. Um, COVID has just messed up. my. Yeah. I, it's a blur. Um, but I was I was basically talking about uh, HEMA and um, you, I was there with uh, some other um, martial arts, uh, like some of them were doing their PhD in martial arts and in uh, sports yeah. news and stuff like that. And uh, one of the women there was talking about um, bare knuckle boxing and how that mm -hmm. was kind of coming back and that they were planning to do um, some events in, you know, uh, the O2 arena, whether or not COVID yeah. has affected that, probably, you know, um, and then, we were also talking about uh, white knuckle boxing and how dangerous that is because it, it's basically people who have like white collar boxing. Do you mean white collar boxing white collar rather bo than white knuckle boxing? It probably is oh, white, knuckle, white, white knuckle boxing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both. I mean, you know, it works for them. I think. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you just oh, I'm so angry. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, white collar boxing. Sorry, yeah, white collar boxing, and how dangerous that is because it's uh, it's just two people with like no training who've seen Rocky Four, where every yeah. punch would kill a man. Um, you know, and it's like, and they're just going against each other wearing these gloves, and um, yeah, uh, I I think what like if if you had a, a club that wanted to sort of practice pugilism, uh, mm -hmm. and they you know they didn't have experience of other martial arts. Where where do you think they would start? What kind of equipment would you advise they get? Oh, right. So I probably, question, <laughs> in yeah. some ways, I'd advise <laughs> them to go and find a local boxing group <laughs> to get some of the basics of understanding of stance and, and hitting things, because um, it is not for everybody. And and they, you know, if you've ever been hit in the face, you know it hurts. Well, and you know, hitting, I have been hit, yeah, as you can tell. You know, um, yeah. and um, 
so it, it isn't for everybody but i think that you have got some uh the, there's some videos that are out there some basic ones that that i mean Oz, for example has, has put a few up on his uh site and you, you would be able to have a look at various things um i think what you'd need to do is just be blooming careful <laughs> trying to, to do things um and where i have known groups like the the uh york school of defense they do a, a pugilism training session for people they lead up to it very slowly um, and carefully um, and it's done as you would do any grappling training with um you well you want uh people to work together to get their skill sets up rather than uh to go in with bag loads of aggression and just beat the heck out of everybody without any techniques because a you'll probably hurt everybody else and they won't want to play with you again and secondly you'll hurt yourself in amongst all of this so so actually to go in um and understand footwork stance movement body mechanics you know various blows various defenses you know have a structured approach to that that learning do a training session with somebody like myself and uh, james could be the or go to the art that adorns you session with the york uh, school of defense guys you know and get trained in some of the basics there and then very carefully practice it with others uh, and, 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 you know, work on with some protection, wear light gloves, wear head protection, a mouth guard and things, even though you're simulating something that was bare knuckle, we're not, we're not ready for that straight away, generally. And even, yeah, you can, you can actually say even the 18th century pugilists use mufflers, gloves for practice. <laughs> Yeah. So, so it's allowed, I think, in the, the grand scheme of things. And you can go to some, you can go to treatises at the time. Uh, so like a lot of other of the sword ones, that they're, they're full of, oh, I'm so wonderful. You know, here's my <laughs> principles on it. Uh, and everybody else is dreadful. Um, but what you also had in there was some science of boxing, so the science of defense or the noble science, which is the other the other uh, name for, for boxing or pugilism actually is. Um, Mendoza had a, uh, was one of the first to put down a treatise and he actually did six lessons that took you through and, you know, a, a massive front <laughs> piece to say, here's the principles behind it all and, and did it with instructor and student you know, here's a hit, try this, try this. And you carried on until you got that right um, and kept going. Uh, I, I did um, I did a, a session on it at Fail Nagashka a couple of years ago. Uh, actually, no, it was last year. My God, we actually had an event that was a moment last year. Um, and I introduced some people to the, this Mendoza treatise to walk through it, to go, right, well, what was he telling people to do? And, and can you understand that? Um, you know, where he's saying to lean or how to put your hands. But you also need to learn that context of Mendoza was short, his style was designed for a short person fighting something who was technically smaller of you. So if you understood that, but you were a six foot three person trying to trying to like replicate what Mendoza tells you to do, it's not going to work quite in the same way. You know? <laughs> so you still have to um, deal with your own body mechanics and build and strength and height and so on uh, to, to adapt to your own personal circumstances. So that's kind of where it's like find a boxing club, a modern one, because that will give you some of the vibe behind it. And then go back, have a look at the treatises, 
have a go at an event or um, you know, sort of local club that could do it or get a couple of you just to walk through it, but just work, work it together. Um, yeah. It's really what I'd advise on that. I think it's great advice because one of the most dangerous things that I've seen in, in uh, martial arts clubs is when you get a white belt fighting another white belt because neither one of them knows control or restraint. Control. <laughs> so understanding. Oh, yeah. You're white... doing it wrong. Yeah. 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 Um, so, like, you know, it's the, it's the same as when you get two people who uh who come and pick up swords for the first time is that you know they're <clears throat> when they you know when they fight their 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 strikes are either going to be too light or too heavy or they're not you know their measures off and it's the same sort of thing if you're doing like judo for example um you don't know how much or how little force is required to sort of like just pop yeah. some joints out of place yeah. um so it's yeah it's it's definitely one of those things uh that i would say you need to have at least some understanding um, of of what it takes to throw a punch without a breaking your hand and b breaking your opponent. So I agree with you there. But also, I would say it's good to have had a humbling or two in your time, um, so you know what it's like to get you know to get hit in the face and to go, yeah, okay, that that is unpleasant. I know concussions are a bad thing, so maybe. Yeah. Like, you know, minimise those. Events. Take the intensity down. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting. At, at the art that adorns you, and, and actually via um, another event that was designed, called the Noble Science that was being run twice a year for unarmed HEMA. So always great fun. Uh, yeah. and, a, and a band of people that are from all different groups that we, we became known as the Noble Science Gang, basically, with a whole bunch of tiny pugilists in that as well, <laughs> by the way. Um, official title. By the way, yeah. um, so so that the, they so out of those the noble science and the art adoncio um, event, uh, a set of rules were devised. Uh, Jason Cook, who's now in the states, pulled that together with various of the others of us who were involved in the noble science, and the art that adoncio has ran uh, multiple years worth of a pugilism tournament. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, okay. uh, so this is all designed around, you know, if you go to your knee, you're 30 seconds out, come back to scratch. Uh, you get so many, you know, we, time bound overall because it's still a tournament in a modern setting. Protective um, helmets, mouth guards and, and light gloves are allowed, um, but also a bit more active refing in the fact that because you've got anybody could put the hat in the ring to have a go. So you did have the below five footers with Tommy J Moore at six foot three, who's a bare knuckle professional almost, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Amateur probably, but you know, so he, he actually fights in bare knuckle fights, but all competing at the same time. Um, they, they had to come up with their, their boxing names as well, <laughs> which yeah. is like really great fun. Um, but, but that active refing said that part of what you judged was was the the point system if somebody uh, you kept the intensity down but deliberately down particularly if you were the taller of the two and sort of you know more bulky um that would that would be clear so it was more technique that was the winner than strength and like dive in and just you know, pummel your, your your opponent and if your opponent didn't respond back and try and defend themselves then that would be stopped the the, the bout would be stopped at that point 
um, because they're not effectively defending themselves. So you try to sort of minimize any issues there. Um, and then on top of that, you also had, uh, you had the, the main winner of the event in second and third, et cetera, but you also had the prize for the best bottom. <laughs> okay, so bottom is a term that is used in pugilism to show, you know, chutzpah or you're like having a go yeah yeah you're just going for it and yeah, you're, you're grit. showing yeah. grit and determination in there you yeah, might not be the best of the of the uh the boxers or, or or be winning the bout but like who gave a blooming good shot at it you know yeah. and so we gave a prize for the best bottom uh as, <laughs> as part of the event as well but that's been run over a number of years um and i think the real set does stand up uh in that but you do have to have the willingness of everybody not to go in full competitive mode and therefore up the aggression yeah um you have to have that understanding and we found you needed a really good ref who could step in and, and spot things a second ref who knows what they're doing i also was you know, part of that team uh, with timekeeping and things like that as well. So you, you just needed to make sure that it was controlled um, to allow everybody to enjoy it and still go to work on the Monday after the event, not with a nose that was halfway across the face and things yeah. like that. So, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think that's one of the things where you just can't get caught napping as a judge. Um, yeah. Because yeah. like now and again, like I, I've talked about this in the past. I know how difficult it is to judge things. And we were talking about, um, you know, uh, small sword being fast. And one of the mm. first things I ever judged, I got roped into it. I'd never judged before. I didn't know what I was looking for. Uh, it was a rapier. Uh, it was a rapier pool. And it was between some very fast uh, fences. And I'm just sort of stood there. And all of the judges go, point. And, I, and somebody looks at me and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck happened there. <laughs> I didn't I'm, feel anything. Yeah, I was just on my way to get some coffee and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm on the, you know, uh, I'm, I'm part of this pool. I, I don't want to be here anymore. You know, there's so much pressure. But like with that, you definitely can't sort of be caught sort of checking your phone or anything. You know? um, so, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I think that's... Uh, I, it's funny because... Like with uh, Bartitsu and Suffragitsu and pugilism and these sort of things, the there are two things that come to mind. One is the fact that you've got this idea that martial arts, I think it's changing now, but when people think of martial arts, they generally think of the you know eastern martial arts that have got this long lineage. Now, yes. Yeah. No, we've got our own stuff. Um, but the other thing, I was talking to uh, Mike Thomas from the Academy of Historical Fencing in, in the last episode, and he was saying that his, you know, he doesn't like the term historical European martial arts. He prefers um, historical fencing, but that doesn't really encompass pugilism. No. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. So, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating debate because I was doing it before it was called HEMA, um, <laughs> you know, in many ways. Um, and I, it, I'm going to really sort of upset a lot of people. I don't care what it's really called, you know? <laughs> uh, but HEMA is a term that is at last 
starting to be recognised across the internet and across different groups and by insurance organisations and so on. So, and it's an umbrella term. And if you look at it as a loose umbrella term, it does kind of what it says on the tin. So you have history, you have a sort of, it's not Eastern, therefore kind of Western, European, yeah. yeah okay loose term yeah Hoover uh, doesn't on, work though does it Hoover. <laughs> it doesn't really it's, yeah so like you know let's make it an acronym that you can actually say you yeah. know <laughs> and, and it's a martial art yeah. and and that covers all things there are lots of people that start to say pugilism isn't part of HEMA or world war ii combatives isn't part of HEMA or even Bartitsu isn't part of HEMA. Right. Uh, and, and, and I would, <laughs> basically, because they say they're too late. So anything that, that's like modern era, it falls out of HEMA. And I'm like, hang on a second. Actually, let's, let's just, just whoa there. Because yeah. if, even if you go to the extent of like World War II combat, or even later, some of the drill sets and the, and the systems that are trained into the military um, are of their era. You know, you wouldn't get it trained in that way now. I mean, the World War II combatives, um, there's a chap called uh, Perigard uh, who, who who did something called Arorology. Um, it's basically Welsh warrior, you know, that's the title or whatever. Um, and, and he did this little classic sort of treatise in World War II that's full of stuff that some of it's useful, some of it's a bit strange. And, yeah, there's a move that he sort of, just to quote, like a black bat swoop to the feet of your enemy. <laughs> I'm like, you wouldn't write that in a manual these days to, to, to train somebody in a martial art, would you? But it, and, and uh, some of the other treatises, uh, you know, have stick diagrams um, or, you know, sort of line drawings and stuff that like uh, the Fairburn site stuff. So get tough and, and things like that. Beautiful illustrations in there of very upset looking Germans and brave, brave Tommies um, training, <laughs> sort of doing evil things to them. Um, but the but the Arorology book has has photos of like string vest and helmeted Germans and things like that, or lab coats, because they're supposed to be scientific about it. Right. Um, or, or it then goes to the other extreme <coughs> of stick men. <laughs> you know? You're like, you're like it's, it's fantastic. It's a great book to have a look at. Yeah. Um, but people would say that's not HEMA. And I'm like, I think it is um, because it's of its time and it's a set of instructions and it's martial. Pugilism, the argument there is because it's got a living lineage, it therefore isn't Pima. Uh, and I would say again, what Mendoza was training for prize fighting and bare knuckle stuff isn't what you do in modern boxing. Yeah. Uh, in quite the same way as small sword or even any other sword system isn't what you do in modern sport or Olympic fencing. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because if you rocked up to um... You know, if you walk into the Olympics with a small sword, you know. Um, started going off the piece yeah. around the back of them and, 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 and not obeying rights of way and things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sort of like, yeah, just swatting your opponent's point out. With the left hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I think not. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't see the argument for that myself either because, like, to... I, I, I don't understand not wanting to include it personally. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, you, 
because we were talking earlier about when you have these different masters writing their books and it's like you know i'm the best and i've done this and i'm better than everybody else and <laughs> you know I, I don't listen to them they suck they don't know what they're talking yeah they're dreadful yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i'm like in the back of my mind i was thinking oh good thing we don't do that today yeah <laughs> and uh yeah exactly <laughs> um you know, and I've I've kind of uh, on occasion, like I joke. Um, again, I hang out with uh, Nick and Mike from the Academy for Historical Fencing. Like I, I attend their classes, and we have this like banter because I teach, um, you know, air quotes Italian. They they teach air quotes German stuff, um, and so we have this banter about what's better. But people do get genuinely sucked into that tribalism of like, no, no, this is Hema. That's not Hema. This is you know, That's that sort of stuff. yeah. But um, the, the term HEMA, I quite like it because of what you said, it, it's getting that sort of recognition. I actually went to, uh, I went to see the physiotherapist uh, recently because my hip's been playing up. Um, and I did a pretty stupid thing of like being locked in, you know, for a lockdown and everything, doing uh, no walking. And then I decided to go for like a 15 mile hike up a castle nearby. So I was yeah. just like, I'll be fine. I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm still 19 in my brain. Um, so I did that and then I came back and like, my hips really hurting for some reason. This is, you know, so anyway, I went to, um, uh, I went to speak to somebody about it and he said, what do you do? And I did that thing where I'd like, I mentally, like I like inwardly sigh. Uh, Cause I, I was going to say like, I, you know, HEMA, uh and then when he says what's that i was gonna like well yeah. it's you know and then i have to explain it so i turned around and said uh, i do uh, i do hema and he went oh okay cool and and that was it, it was <laughs> conversation it, done. Yeah. it was great i was like ah, you know what it is <laughs> you know so that was you know that was great uh, so, so, uh, we we do tend to evangelize a little bit just just touch about hema uh like to anybody that stands still long enough generally um i i had so i have been working at home for an entire year now uh, i am a civil servant in the vix and do hr so human resources and i shocked about 500 human resources colleagues on a call recently uh, where where it was this big sort of you know conference style event and i'd been asked to talk about something that had changed for me during lockdown and at one point i said well they were talking about deep breathing and yoga and stuff and i and i just like hoiked my swords across the screen <laughs> my top boss jaw hit the deck and various others were like oh my god you do what um so yeah so you can still shock a few people out of it and i i, I that that amused me for weeks actually um <laughs> off the back of that because people don't expect some you know, middle-aged woman to, to be like an international instructor <laughs> of various sword forms and grappling and wrestling and, you know, stuff like that. Um, that amuses me mightily. Um, yeah. And I, I wanted to add in something in amongst all of this that, that's a little bit of an elephant in the room here um, in the fact that there's still this perception that women don't do martial arts stuff. I mean. Yeah, yeah. I do have to mention it a little bit. No, um, no, no. I do. It's it's something that I actually spoke to when I had Fran on. We talked about it at length. Um, so it is something that I'm, uh, like I'm quite interested in because one of the things that I'm, I talked to uh, Melissa about because Melissa 
um, you know, she helps me run the yeah. academy. And, you know, one of the things that we, we do is we bounce ideas off each other. So I'll come in from the back garden. She's in the middle of work uh, because she has a grown up job. Right. I'll come in from the back garden and she's in the middle of like a meeting with work or whatever. And I'll just go help me out with this play. Right. And I'll just show her the images. And I'm like, the language isn't clear. How would I break What's this? this? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and stuff like that. So we talk about, um, you know, we talk about this stuff and mm. like I've, you know, it, it sucks if you're a woman and you're trying to say, no, women can do martial arts, you will get some horrible vitriolic people out there who just, who, who will uh, comment. And if you're a man who says women can do martial arts, you're a virtue signal, signaling. <laughs> you uh, can't win. Yeah. like soy boy <laughs> bloody you know all of this sort of stuff so yeah it's something it's something that i've encountered um a bit of and it must be i mean for you coming from the army and having been involved in hema since you said the, the well, 2000s um, well yeah and and actually i i was president of the british federation for historical swordplay which at the time was the umbrella organization for the uk yeah. So I was president of that for a number of years and ran, you may have heard of Swash as an event at the yes. Royal Armies in Leeds. That's now like, I, something came up on my, my feed the other day. That was 10 years ago that I was running it. Um, so, you know, stuff around that. Um, and what Fran does now, you know, her, her uh, events and the By the Sword event absolutely has taken off. Um, yeah. More about that maybe in a minute. But, yeah. uh, you know, various things. It's great to see. But my point in some ways on this is it's not a new thing. <laughs> the difficulty, women have been involved in martial arts for a very long time. Um, and there are, you know, examples in history that you can see. But I wanted to pull that strand around pugilism out again and say, actually, we've got full blown evidence of women being prize fighters right from the very start of the 18th century um pugilism world you know and fig and broughton um, and, and others there are in newspaper examples the names of women and and well unfortunately there's many bouts that are talked about in in newspapers but they don't even say who the women actually are um, but but there we have written examples of women being bare knuckle prize fighters right from the very start of the the science and it develops all the way through that period of time However, <laughs> you know, and they've got like thousands of people turning up to events and, you know, sort of, you know, different examples of, of um, some of the, the fighting. So one of the things that, that uh, was known for a, a, one of the, the London bouts, um, I think it was Elizabeth Wilkinson, who, who then married somebody who had an amphitheatre and she, Mrs. Stokes became quite a, a well-known name throughout names um so so one of the things that, that they did with that was they had half a guinea in in each hand and the lady who dropped the guinea first lost the bout but that was yeah so so they, they had real sex around that and they do have some titillation in there over like women what women were actually wearing or not <laughs> at some of the bouts but they were quite often as bloody and as ruthless in the fighting as what we'd imagine a, a male 
you know, uh, bare knuckle fight would have been. Um, and because of the nature of the rule sets or lack of them at the time, so you could through throws and chancery and grapples and gouges and kicks and all the rest of that sort of stuff, women were also known for pulling hair, nails and biting, which probably still plays out in cat fights outside of pubs these days, um, <laughs> I believe. Um, but, but you know, so so that was that was part of it. But there were examples put in newspapers of of women, um, like one particular bout that went on for two hours, Jeez. and the women were fighting each other for two hours, and they were by that point one had a cut over the eye and the other eye was closing, um, and they were you know, they were liberally covered in blood uh, through the entirety of that match, and they just kept going until I think the husband of one of them was like, "Get up there, you're not losing the pot." Um, <laughs> <laughs> so 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 it's quite brutal in the in the mix as well. Um, but coming back to the elements of disapproval for for ladies as you moved into the Victorian era, the rule sets changed, and when the Queen, Marquess of Queensbury rules, about 20 years after they were introduced, you in the 1880s, I think it was, you, you had the first committees or like governing bodies for boxing being developed, and they refused to acknowledge women fighters in that mix. Right. So all these women that were then prize fighters and doing stuff through the years, they, they were just, no, you're not allowed to be part of our gang anymore and therefore you're not allowed to to prize fight or box anymore so of course it all went underground and they just carried on and you had these fantastic examples of women I mean just um oh god what's the name Hattie Madders Hattie Madders became the heavyweight boxing champion of the world fighting wee Willie Harris and knocked her out in the first round. So she legit. <laughs> her husband, they got arrested soon afterwards for encouraging fights with women. But um, but but she actually was was crowned <laughs> the, the heavyweight champion of the world against a bloke. <laughs> you know? And that example's there. It's in the it's in the mix, but like it was illegal and it was run off. And and actually. That continued all the way through. Sorry, I'm on my soapbox. No, no, no. I was actually just going to say, like, the, like I, I love the the uh, the analog that's there of um, Hattie knocking out a bloke called Wee Willy. That's. Uh... <laughs> I should, yeah, yeah. You just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can just see it happening. Um, you get all the way through to 1904, the Olympics, uh, the Olympics in St. Louis. Um, they allowed boxing on the card, you know, for, for the Olympics. However, women were allowed to put a demonstration fight on. So they weren't actually in the Olympics in 1904 doing boxing, but they were allowed to do a demonstration. Unfortunately, the Olympic Committee decided there wasn't enough skill set there. So we wouldn't recognise women's boxing as an Olympic sport. And yeah. it took till 2012 and the London Olympics for women's boxing to be recognised as an Olympic sport. 2012? 2012, Nicola Adams winning for Britain. That was the first time a, women's boxing was recognised by the Olympics. I didn't realise it, that, that it was that recent. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> 
so there you go there's my little boxing bit about uh, and even before the the 2012 olympics i mean there'd be there was obviously more of a presence than a drive to try and get it into the Olympics. And there was like loads of hoo-ha over the fact that they felt it, was, it wasn't ladylike to, to, to box people and, and, and show violence to, to each other and all the rest of it. Um, and, and various committees were trying to make the, the women boxers wear dresses or skirts just because that was more ladylike. <laughs> and it's like, this is the this is like this is modern era, guys. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to remember what, what year did Million Dollar Baby come out? Um, have you seen it? It's the um, it's directed by Clint Eastwood, um, and it's about <laughs> it's about a it's about a, a, a woman who wants to learn to box and you know yes. this championship. I won't spoil you. Anything. If you haven't seen it. It's, it's a great <laughs> film. Um, but I'm pretty sure I, I, I didn't realize it was that recent because I like I feel like um, I've been watching things like UFC, things like, you know, things like mm. boxing for years. I've only recently in the past, say, I don't know, five or six years gotten into it again because I used to watch it as a kid with my family uh, a little bit and then. I kind of you know i kind of got out of it because i got i, I got into reenactment as well and so i sort of got more into history and uh and things like that so i'd watch you know i'd watch a boxing match and i'm like yeah but they don't they don't have swords do they um and then you know and then it would get to uh, and then i just sort of like got back into it a little bit um and you know when you were talking about uh how brutal some of the fights uh between these women were um i know exactly what you mean because I was watching a fight between uh, Northcutt and Padme. And the reason I was yeah. watching it is because Northcutt was so much taller than Padme and she's throwing mm. these kicks and she's like, you know, she's got, her, her legs are like four. The reach. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So she's like throwing these savage kicks uh, and Padme's much shorter, but she just keeps driving in and she can't get close to, uh, she can't get close to her opponent. Um, but it's one of those things where you don't think of it as being recent. Um, and if you look at the the history of um, black boxes as well, um, the 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 mm -hmm. kind of again, it's that vitriolic stance that's taken against these people, you know, in boxing. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it, it's it, boxing has a. a in a, in a lot of ways it has like quite a very you know dark history um because of the way it excludes people um and again you know and, and this goes uh, this is extended towards um all sorts of minorities jews as well well mendoza bust the bubble against jews uh when he was like the, the sort of champion at the time so he did a lot to promote like the opportunity to, to get out there and fight. You did have some quite notable black fence, uh, black fighters in the mix. And I think it was acceptable that they could go in and fight um, at the time, even though they might not have accessible, you know, normal work and, and, and things out the back of that. But you you had some that really rose to the to the top of their profession uh, fighting. Um, I do have another example. So from 1900, an Irish lady called uh, Polly Fairclough fought Jack Johnson 
um, who was black uh, and he was the existing uh, champion of the world uh, and she had a match with him. Yeah, so so I, I think it was, you know, it, I don't think that, I don't know who won actually on the back of that, but it was reported that you had this and that would have been really shocking at the time. So you've got a woman fighting a, a, a black man and, you know, both of those were unusual in, in um, society at the time. So, you know, they were out there. So perhaps pugilism offered avenues to progress that you probably couldn't have had otherwise, apart from the authorities spoiling the, the thing for the women, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's if you look at other things like uh, sport fencing, when I started it in sort of 85, 86, um, women couldn't compete in things like sabre, Olympic sabre. But you weren't allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> so it has changed over the years. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, because I've spoken to, when I, when I spoke to uh, Fran about, um, we were talking about the UFC and how there is that kind of parity, more of a parity now mm. between men and women in the UFC. But then mm. I was reading an article recently and I need, to, I need to basically do a deep dive of this because I don't know um, how true it is. But it's like there's this kind of, there's this sort of thing that's tied to the UFC, which is like white supremacy and all this sort of stuff. And you get it in things like Gleamer, which is the Viking wrestling. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. Like, but we've had enough of this now. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, can we, we just turn up and fight each other yeah, like humans? Can we just, like, that, that's it. I, um, uh, I, I mean, one of the one of the comments I got because I put a, a video out uh, about a year ago now, and it was in response to this guy um, kind of making these inflammatory remarks about women not being able to fight with swords. So it was like a three minute video where I'm like, no, they can. And I gave like some historic, like historic um, uh, examples. And yeah. Yeah. And I was like, also, there's my wife and there's, you know, the people that I fight in HEMA, like uh, Esther from the AHF and, uh, you know, Fran. I'm, I'm not sure if I, I may have mentioned mm -hmm. Fran. Uh, it was a year ago now. I've slept since then. But I was talking about these, um, I was talking about these uh, examples and this guy, I don't know where he was from. Um, I was reading, I was reading his, uh, his comments and he, he was, he was just, uh, obviously, um, English wasn't his first language in my head. He was Russian or something, right. Or, or like, you know, uh, uh, something like that, because some of the stuff that he was coming out with seemed quite, um, Soviet union. Um, cause mm. he was talking about like, he's like, oh my, uh, you know, um, uh, I'm not going to do the accent. My, my wife's <laughs> Russian. So I take the piss out of her sometimes. Uh, but I won't do it um, but he's basically saying like my grandmother made munitions uh, for World War II and you know she digs out in the back garden every day but she couldn't use a sword I could beat her with a sword because her carpus is not thick enough to hold a sword and I'm like dude first of all stop trying to beat up your grandmother it's weird second of all um, what like i was like it's so she can dig in the garden and she can make munitions she can do all this stuff but she can't lift the sword what are you talking about and he came back and he said one of the things that um, my brother and i uh, laugh about to this day he's like yes yes float like butterfly sting like wasp right and i'm like no that's not it i was like you know um so he was hilarious but yeah you just got loads of people um uh, coming back and quite stuff. riled up a bit yeah. yeah 
these like you know i'm basically saying no the only way you could fight is if you're like a big like you know you're a big dude and all this sort of stuff and it's like no 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 through history you've got smaller fighters men and women yeah and it's technique and and how you use it to your advantage and what you do is you try and find the right technique and system that that works for you you know and and i think We do this for a hobby, you know, we do this for fun, you know, even if you compete and you're into that side or you're into, you know, looking at the art side of it, hey, there's space for everything in HEMA and that's fine, you know, uh, quite a lot of, of people, I mean, myself, I don't compete anymore, I did that in my teens and early 20s, thank oh, you. Yeah. Um, medals, you know, I strolled out with a couple oh, yeah. of medals. Yeah, I have some yeah. of those, I have real medals as well, you know, yeah. it's fine. Um, <laughs> But so I've kind of done that. And, and you know, my space, I'm, I'm more interested in, in sort of coaching and instructing others and, and you know, delving into some, some of these tales and, and, and things that are forgotten about, little areas of, of you know, HEMA world. Um, but let's just say you find your niche and, and most people are attracted to a particular saw form or system. And they find the one that suits them most. So some people are drawn more to uh, sabre uh, or small sword. Some people are more drawn towards long sword or montante or what, you know, whatever floats the boat on, on some of that because they find something that clicks with their, their psyche and their body mechanics and the way that they work. And even then within those systems, you will find mechanisms to overcome height differentials, size differentials. Take your Fiore training, for example. The principles that the Fiore teaches allow you to deflect, bash out the way, get in there and use body mechanics against the other person (laughs) as much as you can. And most systems have something that allows you to do that. So let's just enjoy it and and not just the, you know, excluding people, let's include, but you do it in a way that allows people to enjoy it to the extent that they want to do so. so. Going back to that that wrestling training that there was me on the mat, you know, five foot, all five foot six of me, you know, with these sort of six foot three, six foot four guys um, doing the catch wrestling. Um, I was never going to compete in catch wrestling, so I was never going for that. I was going for the for the bloody good fun that it actually is as a system that is physical chess um, and you can do quite a lot of stuff so we, so I did manage to get over some of them sometimes they got over me some, some you know on, on on systems sometimes and you end up tapping out and going oh yeah yeah I thought you were going for my head but you heel hooked me instead you know um and 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 that comes out in in your training and the humor and cooperation that you have with the people that you train with um, really comes out even more than the sword fight when you're doing um, grappling arts even more than when you're doing it with sword fighting yeah um, because I think you have to because you can hurt each other much more easily yeah yeah, you know? yeah. there has to be that level of trust there um, which is uh, yeah which is I mean you, you need that level of trust to a certain extent when you're sword fighting obviously but then that that's only if and when you land that strike but with grappling if i've got hold of your arm and it's not a particularly good hold but then i wrench my body like that yeah it can all uh, fall apart i remember i was um grappling with a guy in uh when i was doing krav 
and I'm as I said, I'm six foot four. I'm I'm a bit of a scarecrow in terms of my build. You know, I'm not like a I'm not hench or anything. <laughs> um, I actually so I was doing an online class. Just a bit of a tangent before I go back to my story there. Um, I was yeah. doing an online class on Friday, and um, I wear medium sized t-shirts. And obviously, Melissa and I have the same t-shirt uh, yeah. design for when we're teaching. Um, uh, when we're teaching and when we wear the academy uniform and uh, I put on one of Melissa's t-shirts by accident and it's small and I was like yeah I'm, I'm feeling good like I'm feeling like I've been you know like I've like I've uh, put on you know booked up and then I realized it was Melissa's t-shirt and I'm like ah and I turned to Melissa I'm like yeah this is probably a medium now um because I've stretched it out uh so yeah but I'm not a big like I'm a tall guy I'm not a big yeah. guy um and I was training with this guy, uh, Dan Hawkins, and he, uh, from my old Krav um, uh, classes, and he was an absolute mountain of meat. Uh, you know, he was just, just, in, just big. Um, and we were grappling. Anyway, he was on top, and I had to try and basically get, get on top of him. Nothing I did. Just gravity was against me, because he was so big. Yeah. You know, and the uh, Eventually, I managed to roll him and, and get on top of him. And I was like, yes, I did it, right? And I was like, and then, like, this sort of thought just crept in. And I, I, I looked at him and I was like, did you let me have that? And he went, I wanted you to feel like you were doing well. He was like, you were trying. Oh, no. I, know. I was like, oh, mate, don't give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> that, that actually is one of the exercises. Um, uh, by the sword the event that uh, Fran runs uh, for women and non-binary um, I've been to a couple of them now as a, an instructor for her and I wanted to bring in some of the grappling arts to uh, introduce that to everybody because you've got to admit at most events it's quite a facer for somebody who isn't used to grappling and going into various things it doesn't matter whether you're a man or woman so it's not for everybody um, but to give them a, an introduction to it so I did uh, I did a catch wrestling class where one of the exercises was literally one led on top of the other as a dead weight and I said right I'm not going to teach you any wrestling move here just get yourself out from under that person like what are you going to do and and a lot of catch wrestling is actually not I'm going to do one move and I'm going to fold them in this sort of you know manner it's actually what can I move <laughs> at this moment in time and it might not move the first time but I can move them a bit and if I keep going at it and and, and doing this then they'll get I'll get to a point where I can actually turn them over and get out from under them and things uh, and I think that as much as anything else that I taught in that class was actually a really fundamental lesson for, yeah. for people not to just give up but to go what can I move um same with sword fighting in many ways, but particularly for the grappling arts and, and for, for uh, wrestling and so on. The other class I did with them uh, was an introduction to pugilism, uh, and it was hysterical because I we were expecting about about 20 people per class, per group that we were doing. I turned around and I had 40 women <laughs> to, yeah. to teach <laughs> pugilism to. And they were like, oh, we like this. Where can we learn this a bit more? You know, off the back of it. So like, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm spreading the message, getting yeah. out there, trying to sort of get different things in, in the frame for HEMA. <laughs> That's awesome. I, um, w with what you were saying about moving uh, just one mm. part, 
I was telling you earlier about Carly, who um, I, I was doing some grappling with, and I said that, you know, she'd get hold of hair or my nose yeah. or whatever. Actually, at one point, that was one thing she did. So um, we were grappling. I was on top. She managed to get just her right hand free. She just grabbed hold of my nose. Yeah. Just turned my whole head. And obviously, she yeah. turned my head, and then she managed to get free. And I'm like... Where the head goes, the body follows. Yeah, exactly. That's the key principle I, of wrestling. It's not like I could resist. It because, like, with everything else, like, with your hand or whatever, you know, your arm, you've got some muscle in there to either loosen or redirect. Yeah. Your nose is just a load of gristle, you know? So she's there sort of, like, wrenching my head around. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. head's now moving. <laughs> body will yeah. follow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So where can people find you online? Well, I'm literally, I'm a sword for hire. <laughs> oh, excellent. All right. In, in the fact that um, courtesy of moving, I, I am, uh, I have been looking to set up my own group here in my little area of West Yorkshire, because uh, I'm conveniently right in about an hour away from any HEMA club. <laughs> so I, I, I was planning to do something last year and of course the pandemic hit, um, but I might see if I can get something kicked off sort of later on this year. Uh, I am just on Facebook, so you can find me as Susan Kirk on, on Facebook. Please send me a message over how you found me if you send a, a friend request, because if I don't know you, I'll probably be like, who are you? <laughs> I'm not answering to that. But I do get around to a lot of events normally. Um, so both, you know, Fight Camp, the International Small Sword Symposium, Sabre Symposium, um, Swiss Blades, I was at the other year, Phil Nagashka, uh, by the sword, to do, uh, you know, no, you name it. I've gone to, I go to quite a lot of events, uh, both here and across the across the uh, the world now. And uh, you might find me there. Buy me a beer. I'll tell you all about stuff. Yes. <laughs> if you'd like to find out more about historical European martial arts, visit www.academyofsteel.com. If you want to shoot us over a question, you can do it at info at academyofsteel.com. Dot com. Or you can find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and now we're on TikTok because we caved, because that's what's happening. It's a brave new world and I'm not on board. Except I am on board because we've got a new TikTok account.